The majority team in this chamber decided to steal a Supreme Court seat. Sing it, brother. Sing it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one of the reasons. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950. Yes, those are our public airwaves. We're also heard coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast, your radio home companion. Um, Coming up, uh, well, I'll I'll hold my guest. She'll be joining me shortly. Uh, Let me hit this first. Senator Jeff Merkley. Democrat from Oregon yielded the floor this morning, finally, after 15 hours of talking through the night in the U.S. Senate in opposition to the nomination of Judge Neil Gorsuch to fill the U.S. Supreme Court vacated more than 400 days ago, over 14 months ago, by the death of Justice Antonin Scalia. That seat was then stolen by the Republicans, as you heard Merkley say at the top of the show, who uh, then uh, the Republicans effectively filibustered by even refusing to uh, hold a hearing for Barack Obama's nominee, Judge Merrick Garland, much less hold an up or down vote for him. It was an unprecedented change to some 250 years of constitutional and U.S. Senate history. Here's a here's a few seconds of of Merkley, Senator Merkley, uh, uh, last night from his more than 15 hours on the Senate floor last night and again today. The majority team in this chamber decided to steal a Supreme Court seat. Again, such a theft never ever has happened in the history of our nation. The majority said. We intend to pack the court of the United States of America. There was no principle to the position. It was a warfare tactic of partisanship to pack the court. It was a end justifies the means, even if the means violates the core 
premise of the Constitution and does deep damage to the Senate and does deep damage to the court. Yes, thank you, Senator Merkley. Thank you for saying it in such plain words. This was a theft. That seat was stolen. It needs to be said over and over again. Democrats in the Senate now have the votes to filibuster uh, Judge Neil Gorsuch in hopes of keeping the court majority from being stolen for a generation by the GOP. But Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he will use a majority vote, a majority vote only, to change the rules, to uh, to use the so-called nuclear option to remove the need for Republicans to overcome a filibuster by the by the minority for a SCOTUS nominee, a Supreme Court nominee. Now, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Donald Trump busting up our our institutions. But the Republicans have been planning to break up this institution for a long time, for long before Donald Trump was even considered a a possibility to win the Republican nomination by most people, much less to win the presidency. And I have been advocating that folks call their senators, both the Democratic and uh, and Republican senators, wherever you live, with your thoughts, reminding them that if just three Republican senators, that's where we are, just three Republican senators, if they can get just three of them to vote against breaking the institution of the U.S. Senate, breaking the institution of the U.S. Supreme Court, breaking centuries of history, they can block the outright theft of this seat. You can call your senator at 202-224-3121. You can call both of your senators and give them your thoughts, whether you're uh, whether you have Democratic uh, senators or Republican senators. Um, you know, let them hear from you. One person, I promise, uh, can make a difference, as you'll hear in my story coming up. But a lot of people, millions of people calling those uh, calling that uh, U.S. Capitol and trying to get this message through to their particularly their Republican senators that know we won't stand for a stolen Supreme Court. Uh, 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 justice on the Supreme Court with an asterisk by their name, because that's what Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch will have if he is confirmed to the stolen seat. Now, for the, for their part, uh, Mitch McConnell and some of the other Republicans have been repeating over and over again. And I need to hit a couple of these. They've been repeating, A, that this is the first partisan filibuster of a Supreme Court nominee in history. That is baldly untrue, and he keeps repeating it. Unless you consider the Republicans' failure to even hold a hearing for Merrick Garland last year for more than a year uh, until there was a new president, unless you consider that to not be a partisan filibuster, this guy, McConnell, is just lying. He is just hoaxing you, hoaxing the American people, or at least hoping to. So that's A. B, the Republican ex- uh, explanation that we haven't confirmed a Supreme Court nominee during an election year in 80 years, well, that is, uh, that's true, because there hasn't been a vacancy on the court Uh, in an election year in about 80 years. But more importantly, this notion that we don't confirm justices in an election year is is just made up of out of whole cloth. And I need to repeat that again. It is just a lie. The Washington Post reported just days after Justice Antonin Scalia died last year, more than a year ago, back in February of 2016, 
They reported that one-third of all U.S. presidents had appointed a Supreme Court justice in an election year. Fourteen presidents in all have appointed 21 justices during presidential election years. A half dozen presidents uh, who were lame duck, literally classic lame ducks after the election. A half dozen of those presidents, yes, filled Supreme Court seats even though their successor had already been elected. As a matter of fact, in just the past century, there have been six justices, six Supreme Court justices confirmed uh, in presidential election years, with five of them both uh, nominated and confirmed in a presidential election year, as Merkley pointed out during part of his 15 hours on the Senate floor last night and this morning. Justice Malin Pitney was nominated by William Taft in February, February of 1912. Remember, Scalia died in February of, 19, uh, of 2016. Justice Louis Brandeis uh, was nominated by Woodrow Wilson in January of 1916. Well, that was early in the year, right? Well, Justice John Clark was nominated also by Woodrow Wilson, also in the same year, in July of 1916. Yes, Woodrow Wilson got two nominations and confirmations to the Supreme Court in a single election year. Justice Benjamin Cordoza was nominated by Herbert Hoover in uh, February of 1932. He was also confirmed. All of these were. Justice Frank Marshall, nominated by Franklin Roosevelt in January of 1940 and confirmed to the Supreme Court. Uh, and that was the last time we had a, 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 a seat vacated on the Supreme Court in an election year. But there was a sixth case that also took place in the last century. That is, of course, Justice Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Kennedy. Thank you. Uh, Justice Kennedy, who is still on the court, he was confirmed in an election year in February of 1988. But uh, President Ronald Reagan uh, had nominated him in November of 87. That's when the seat opened. But we've got six cases in just the past uh, century, this this same century in which uh, McConnell is claiming, well, we haven't done this in 80 years because there hasn't been a vacancy. So this entire matter is just built on a lie that Republicans know to be a lie, that their sycophants over our public airwaves continue to repeat, have been helping them lie about this for more than a year now over our public airwaves. So, yeah, call your senators, particularly if they're a Republican. Let them know what you think about this, uh, about, what, about frankly, what will lead to more partisanship, more radical activist justices like Antonin Scalia, like Clarence Thomas, like Justice Alito. Uh, this will lead, as I say, to a stolen Supreme Court with this asterisk next to Gorsuch's name in the history books. This will last. It will have an effect for a generation. You can reach the U.S. Capitol at 202-224-3121. All right. Um, because this is going to happen on Thursday, it looks like. Uh, they're going to blow up the filibuster unless three Republicans do the right thing. Surely there are three Republicans out of 52 senators who are willing to do the right thing, right? Well, you can make them. Or good luck trying. So much grim news today, including that. Uh, we've got grim news in Syria, in North Carolina. 
of course, the the plan to kill the filibuster. Um, But with all of that grim news, I'm going to focus on none of it. None of it, at least uh, for today, at least for the moment, because I've got some encouraging news. Uh, a number of, of items that I hope to get to on healthcare, on civil rights and more. But I want to try, you know, to bring out some of this encouraging news today and maybe some of your calls. If you have encouraging news that's not otherwise being noticed, uh, my number is 818-985-5735. We'll see if I can get to some of your calls. 818-985-5735. You'll have to hang on the line for a bit. But I will try. Uh, But speaking of making a difference with your actions, like calling the Senate, yes, taking action really does work. I got a a guest coming up momentarily who proves that today with a story that we've been telling for quite some time here on the Bradcast and over at bradblog.com that demonstrates how one person in this case can take on one of the most intransigent federal agencies in the nation, uh, another institution and a huge media conglomerate and actually force them to change their ways on behalf of we the people and of our public airwaves, at least a little bit. So uh, that's going to be encouraging in a moment. Uh, there is nothing I can do about the news that will be coming from Desi Doyen, however, and the Green News Report. That's, uh, you know, I can't control that. Uh, that will be, what's that? Uh, your mic's not, I can't hear you. That's all right. Sorry about there that. There we go. What? <laughs> Uh, oh, you're apologizing in advance for yes, your grim for news. news. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Nothing we can do about that. But Desi will be here with the Green News Report uh, a little bit later. Um, but let me get to my guest. This 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 is so rare. I would not be surprised if people who read this story in the Sacramento Bee over the weekend on April 1st, after all, might have thought that it was an April Fool's joke. But we have one American actually took on both a huge media conglomerate and the FCC and actually won, mostly. Uh, And that one American, I am proud to say, is a longtime contributor at Bradblog.com and a guest over uh, over the years here on the Bradcast where she has been telling this story, which now has a happy ending. But it starts uh, with, with not a happy beginning, a tragic beginning, in fact. Okay, Dan Moraine. Uh, a political columnist and editorial page editor uh, at Sacramento Bee began his story over the weekend this way. Quote, from her home outside the no stoplight settlement of Fiddletown, Sue Wilson tilted at a corporate windmill and a funny thing happened. Sue from Fiddletown won on our behalf. You can hear the sound of that victory at the end of the FM radio dial in Sacramento, where there was once commercial pop music, hooting DJs, and stupid radio stunts. Now there is just static. We the people own the airwaves, she said, and repeats, we the people. The beginning of that story, uh, as as Moran notes, uh, is a tragic one. In January 2007, Jennifer Strange, a 28-year-old mother of three and regular listener to 107.9 KDND, The End, entered a contest called Hold Your We for a We. Yes, it's as stupid as it sounds. That's the uh, the Nintendo Gaming Council uh, that was all the rage at the time. Uh, uh, Jennifer Strange, who wanted to win that uh, console for her kids, was one of 18 con- contestants who gathered at KDND, which was owned by Entercom Communication Corporation, the nation's lar- fourth largest radio chain. The person who gulped the most water during this contest without having to urinate would win this on-air contest. One of the disc jockeys asked, can't you get water poisoning and, like, die? 
That was just 16 minutes into the show. A caller who identified herself as a nurse practitioner warned that a person could die from water intoxication. The DJs made jokes, but then they kept going nonetheless. 16 of the 18 had dropped out when Strange accepted the second prize, which was tickets to a Justin Timberlake concert. Her stomach was distended. She had a splitting headache, but she managed to drive home, where she then fell into a coma and died that afternoon. A friend of hers called the station with word of her death, but rather than call the contestants to check on their welfare, the station's management called Entercom Headquarters, the Entercom Communications Corporation headquarters outside of Philadelphia, spoke to company lawyers instead of warning the other contestants. When the DJs arrived for work on Monday after Strange's death, they were told to hire attorneys and they were fired. But the station's managers who approved the stunt, as well as the company itself and its executives, they paid no such price. They continued on, making millions by using their FCC-granted license to use our public airwaves for their own self-interest, not the public's. Not long after all of this, uh, Emmy and Associated Press award-winning former broadcaster journalist, uh, broadcast journalist Sue Wilson turned a media reform activist. She featured the story in her documentary film on the failure of corporate media to use their free licenses to use our public airwaves in the public interest. And yes, that is still required by the law. We have since come to learn in any event. Wilson decided to file a petition with the FCC to revoke Entercom's license to use KDND 107.9 in Sacramento, a 50,000-watt broadcasting powerhouse frequency in Northern California. And Sue Wilson writes about what happened next at bradblog.com today. But I'm happy to let her explain it all right here, right now, over your public airwaves. Uh, Sue Wilson... Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad, it's always good to talk with you. It's particularly good to talk with you today. Congratulations on this story uh, in the Sacramento Bee. The news here is fantastic. The story was great, but the news, uh, more importantly, uh, you have been writing about this story and your efforts to win accountability on behalf of the public for years now at bradblog.com and at Huffington Post and, me, and your uh, organization, MediaActionCenter.net. You, so, so congrats on what is, I think, an improbable victory here. So before we get to that victory. Let me pick up things from uh, from somewhere near where I left off in this story here, Sue. Uh, before you actually filed your petition to deny KDND's license, there was a trial uh, against the station and its owners, uh, Entercom, correct, in the Jennifer Strange case. What were those charges and what was the result of that trial very quickly? There was a trial. And in fact, I drove in and covered the trial uh, every single day in Sacramento uh, this was a family who hired a, a top-notch attorney, Roger Dreyer, out of Sacramento, to file a civil suit looking for, you know, wrongful death charges against uh, Jennifer Strange. And indeed, of course, the station was found liable for her death, mostly because, okay, and this is what people really need to understand, people think that, oh, this is a stupid woman who went in and did this. No, what it was proven in court was that the staff at the radio station knew in advance that this was a deadly contest that they were going to promote. They knew it was deadly. They bragged about it being deadly. And when people were calling in, as you mentioned, 
when nurses were calling in saying people can die from water intoxication and they, the, the staff laughed, they never told the contestants. The contestants could not hear those comments. Mm. The, uh, and it gets worse. There was actually a, a bunch of rules that had been drafted that kind of told people this is how the uh, contest is to be conducted and this are some of the risks involved. They drafted the rules, and then they hid the rules in a drawer and instead just handed people a little piece of paper saying, you know, I, I generally, like, give away my rights to anything. Yep. It, was, it was a ridiculous thing that they did. And, and they, they knew that they could kill somebody, and by God, they did, and it was wrong. And there was a, uh, and you know, I, I, I cite this story, by the way, uh, a lot of times when I hear it, when we're talking about climate change, global warming, people say, oh, carbon dioxide, that's not toxic, that's what you breathe. And I point, you know, and I say, well, you know what, you don't understand how how poison works. It's not the, the you know, it's the amount. It's not about, uh, you know, how much, you know, you can put them in a room with nothing but carbon dioxide uh, and see how that works out if you think that's not, uh, not poisonous. And I point them to this story of what? Water, you can, yes, water is poison if you have too much of it, as was the case here. Now, there was a $16 million verdict uh, against the station. Uh, the Jennifer Strange family uh, won this uh, wrongful death case, as I understand it. Well, uh, and, but wasn't that enough, Sue? Uh, $16 million against the station. Uh, before we get to what you did with that, wasn't that enough for what they did? Wasn't that enough of a penalty as you see it? Well, first of all, you know, and I'm glad that the family got something out of this. It will never replace their treasured mother and wife's life, okay? Mm-hmm. But Entercom's insurance company paid that. That really didn't cost Entercom a mm. dime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Entercom really kind of walked away with a black eye but scot-free. The thing is, is that, you know, these are our publicly owned airwaves. They are licensed to broadcast over those publicly owned airwaves. And at core, if you're going to be licensed, you should be able to maintain some kind of standards. At what basic standards should a radio station lose its license? That became the core question that I wanted to have answered. You know, in my film, Broadcast Blues, I looked at when, when was the last time that the Federal Communications Commission ever took away any station's license for any reason. Mm-hmm. And even the FCC did not know. They have so ignored the idea that a license could be taken away. They've walked so hand-in-hand hand with the big corporations that run our stations on our public airwaves that they've given them pass after pass after pass. I'm here to say that many of these licenses should be taken away. But at least for once, we got the FCC's attention and said, really, are you really going to tell us that you can kill somebody on our public airways and you're not going to pull a license? And I really thought that they were going to get away with it, Brad. I really did. Well, and they so, yeah, well, I know. Well, let, let's talk about what happened. You write about it today, uh, Sue Wilson at bradblog.com. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned, by the way, about how these licenses work, because, you know, people think that corporations actually own 
the frequencies that they broadcast their their music and their news and their uh, you know right wing political lies, as I was referring to a little bit uh, earlier in this segment. You know, and I know many people who actually run those stations, who manage those stations, who think they own it. No, we the people own it. So uh, you, you say that nobody at the FCC could even remember the last time a, a, a license was revoked from any broadcaster uh, out of the hundreds and thousands of them that they uh, that uh, thousands of, of licenses that they issue around the country they've never taken one away they could not remember the last time and in fact it's important to note a lot of people do file petitions to deny against certain stations across the country mm-hmm. again in broadcast blues I feature the story of Jane Acree who was a reporter working for a Fox station in Florida um, she was forced by station to try to lie about a story she was doing about Monsanto. Station tried to force her to lie on the air about uh, the cancer-causing agents in BGH, bovine growth hormone. She wouldn't do it. The station fired her. She filed a petition to deny their license, saying you can't distort the news. The FCC rules say you cannot do that. And the FCC never, ever, ever even responded to her petition. No, I'm exaggerating slightly. They responded, but it took about four years. And when they finally did respond, they said, well, we're not really sure what went on here. And the state, by the way, she took this to court, and a jury of her peers found, yes, yes, indeed, WTVT had indeed tried purposely to distort the news. That means WTVT purposely lied to the public. The court found that. The jury found that. And the FCC at that point said, yeah, we don't really have to go with the state court's opinion. We don't know what happened here. Hey, First Amendment, baby. Apparently, you're welcome to lie. And that is somehow still serving the public's interest because they get these licenses in exchange for really nothing more than their promise to serve the public interest. And that's what you tested, essentially, uh, with your petition to deny to the FCC. So, you did this. Uh, you did this on on your own. You joined with a a, a, a large group. I'm sure there. Who? How? How did you uh, uh, finally decide uh, to file this uh, this petition? Because I'm sure there must be huge organizations that were equally furious that uh, this company Entercom was was getting away with actually killing someone on the air and not losing their broadcast license. Correct. Gosh, you would think so, but I kind of heard the sound of silence. You know, I, I, I had a lot of years to do this, all right? There were uh, seven years between the time the contest occurred and the time when I wrote the petition to deny. In those seven years, and that, that by the way, for your audience, that's because licenses don't get renewed but at once every eight years. Mm-hmm. This contest happened very early in the license period. Mm. So for seven years, I tried to contact every big media reform group, every big attorney who works in the public interest, and say, will you help me on this? Um, This is a clear case. If the FCC won't take away a station's license for killing somebody, what good is licensing at all? It's just a sham. And I had them tell me, you make a really persuasive case, but they said, honestly, we're tired of losing, 
and we can't help you. And so you... And I can't blame them. I mean, they've been filing these petitions to deny for completely legitimate reasons for years, and they have been ignored. So but you decided to be- file on your own then? You, you actually, you write about this, that you, you filled out uh, a 21-page uh, uh, legal petition to deny in this case? Yes, you, I, I certainly did. And you can read that on MediaActionCenter.net. All of these uh, documents are available to those who are interested. Uh, you know, and, and people think a petition. This, this is not a signature-gathering petition. I did not write a paragraph and say, everybody sign here and say that they should take her license. I, I had to write a legal, the, the, in essence, this was a, a lawsuit that mm-hmm. I wrote. I wrote a legal petition that documented exactly what had happened. I used transcripts from the trial. I went down to the courthouse in Sacramento to find depositions from contestants. I called contestants and interviewed them and tried to get them to put their names on the petition. And a couple agreed, but it was so traumatic for them. They had lived through hell once, and they called me back and said, I just, I, I'm getting nightmares again, just talking to you i can't do this so that left me with well this is going to be done now there's a wonderful attorney up in washington dc art bellendick who who helped me uh i wrote the petition and he went through the thing and and he gave it some legal uh, format and a few sightings and in his words and i'm going to do my best art bellendick impression here he said <laughs> you know you're gonna lose this thing but you gotta do it because it's the right thing to do, and so I did. And I figured that that would be the end of it. I filed that on Halloween of October 2013, the very last possible day I could file it. And honestly, thought Brad, I thought that what would happen was they would never act on it, and at some point I would be writing an article for the Brad blog saying, <laughs> "Well, look at FCC; they actually let." Stations kill people and keep their license. Because you have been incredibly uh, critical, justifiably so, of the uh, FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, over the years in your uh, in your work at Brad Blog. Uh, like I say, for good reason. Uh, and now, of course, I'm I'm running late, so let's uh, let's get into a. The, the results here. So the FCC, so you thought this was uh, going to go away. You'd uh, point it out. You'd poke fingers at the FCC at Brad Blog, and then they surprised you. They actually decided to take up this case. Boy, did they surprise me! Here I'm headed to a, a funeral in North Dakota when Art Bellenda calls me and says, "You're not going to believe this, but this is going to trial." And here's the most surprising thing. It turns out that the five commissioners that sit on the FCC vote whether or not to send anything to their administrative law judge. Almost every single time they do send any kind of a case to their law judge, um, it is a a partisan split. In other words, during the Obama administration, Mm -hmm. there may have been a three-to-two Democrat Mm -hmm. to Republican split in, uh, in, in anything, and then they, and they haven't done anything this big, and again, nobody can remember when. This was very rare, because every single one of the commissioners, including Ajit Pai, who is now the FCC chair... Who's a far right-winger, of, you know, calls himself conservative, but very, very right-wing Republican. Yeah, go ahead. Well, so here's, I think, the very best news that comes out of all of this. 
clearly, Agit Pai, even Agit Pai, understands that at core there is a public interest standard that comes with having a radio station. Every single one of those commissioners found that that is the standard. And so that our case was going through. And thank goodness, a wonderful attorney out of Oakland, California, named Michael Cousins, came to my rescue. Because once again, I called every single public interest attorney and said, well, now we have a real case. Right. This is going to trial. And again, it was like, well, I'm sorry, but that's too much work. We can't help you. Here, I'm stuck all by myself. Now I've got a real case, and I have to try to defend this thing yep. uh, or, or move it forward. Um, but Michael Cousins came forward, and like a, a, a knight riding a white horse, to my rescue. I will say this. The Enforcement Bureau at the FCC really was the, the knight because, okay, People understand FCC is made up of a media bureau and an enforcement bureau. The media bureau walks hand in hand with the corporations, and they are never going to work on our behalf. But uh, the enforcement bureau got a hold of this and got incensed by it. They wrote a 35-page hearing designation order, which is great reading. Go to my website, mediaactioncenter.net, and Get a load of that. You will understand the, the dire situation here. Okay. D- this put Entercom in, and that was great. Now, Sue, I'm going to jump to the uh, jump to the sort of to the end of the story here. You you never got that hearing that the FCC was supposed to give you, uh, or was going to give you, uh, because Entercom took action with their uh, with their frequency that was worth at least thirteen and a half million dollars on uh, whatever that was one hundred two point. What was it? 107.9 in Sacramento. Instead of fighting this, what happened? What did they do? What did Entercom actually do with that frequency instead of fighting your petition to deny the license entirely? Ah, well, one Thursday afternoon, or I, I was reading the Sacramento Bee, and it said that Entercom is going to merge with CBS Radio. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, the FCC commissioners must approve that merger. That merger would be approved at about exactly the same time I'm going to be at trial at the FCC over this issue, saying Mm -hmm. you can't kill somebody and keep a license, right? Yep. The very next day, Entercom announced that they were going to surrender the license of KDND because they're merging with CBS Radio and they're going to have too many licenses in Sacramento anyway, so they're just going to give this one up. And the fact was they didn't want to be fighting while they, fighting over uh, the right to retain this license while they were hoping the FCC was going to give them permission to merge with CBS. That's right. That they they spun it that way. And thanks to Dan Moraine of the Sacramento Bee, the record has been set straight on that. Yeah. It, it, and, and you know, why don't, you know, this is so important. Why don't progressive media, I mean, the one part of your story here, the fact that you could not get any of these media advocacy groups, including, I know you went to a lot of progressive groups, why don't they understand the importance of our public airwaves, the importance of serving the public interest over those uh, uh, public airwaves? I mean, they worry about Internet neutrality. Uh, but we never hear them, you know, going to bat for the public airwaves, which reaches hundreds of millions of people every day for free as they go to, you know, go to and from work. You know, we we're, were talking earlier about the Supreme Court and, the, you know, the fact that there's so many people who actually believe the nonsense coming from the Republicans about this stolen seat. 
But, you know, where are the progressives? Where are the Democrats when it comes to doing what you're doing, uh, uh, Sue Wilson, actually taking these people on and making them meet the public interest requirements over our public airwaves? How do we explain that, Sue? Brad, I honestly think that the progressives have found this to be too difficult. That there is so much power behind these operators of these stations that broadcast on what, in essence, is the national parks of our airwaves. I mean, this belongs to us. It's part of our history. It's part of who we are. And if, if, if they wouldn't let you into a national park, people would be uproared. They, they, they would be protesting. Mm-hmm. Instead, these are the, na- the public airwaves, and it's been hidden from us that these are the public airwaves. You and I talk about it, but very few others do. Back in about the year 2000, you had groups like Free Press that were coming out talking about it. But over time, they kept losing and losing and losing, and so I believe they gave up. Whereas I chose to stay focused on one thing instead of scattershot. And, you know, this is my big message to your audience, whether you really are an advocate for media reform or whether it's something very, very different. Focus your energy. Become the expert. I focused on this one thing, on the public airways and on taking a license for good reason. This is not the only license challenge I have filed, and I have uh, failed in the other, and I thought it was an even, in a way, a more important case. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it's really, really important for people to focus your energy like a laser beam and take a hold of spirit, let it guide you, and and just just get this thing done. I you love do whatever it is in your heart. I love how uh, Moran describes you in his piece uh, over at Sacramento Bee over the weekend, Sue. Wilson is a former television and radio reporter and producer turned advocate for the old-fashioned principles of the fairness, equal time, and an insistence that broadcasters use public airwaves uh, in the public interest. That seems so simple, it's so appropriate in my brain, but apparently something like that uh, is actually worth saying out loud in today's corporate media. He had to point that out. Uh, Sue, this is a real David and Goliath story. You are David. You took down at least a piece of Goliath here, uh, you know, a huge media conglomerate and the intransigent FCC, and actually beat them. Sort of. But I will take it because it shows how one person really can make a difference, as you point out here, Sue. I would point people to uh, to the, your story today at bradblog.com, headlined, The Public Interest Still Lives, How I Took on a Major Media Conglomerate for Abusing Our Public Airwaves and Challenged the FCC to Do Its Job and Mostly Won. Uh, you can uh, see that at Brad Blog. We've got a link over to the uh, story at uh, Sacramento Bee. Sue, uh, thank you so much for all you do. Thanks for sticking with this for so many years. Um, and, and I hope you will continue to keep up the good fight. We need you, if only to set an example for the world. Thanks, Sue. Thank you, Brad. You can. Do I have a choice? You can find her work also at MediaActionCenter.net, and you can find her and follow her on the Twitters at Sue Blues Wilson. Thanks, Sue. All right, I got to get out. I know we're running in stupidly late. We'll try to get a couple of calls when we come back. Uh, Don't go away. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yep. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Running late here, uh, but I do want to get to a couple of uh, good callers and uh, some of the good news that I had promised. The rest will have to wait until, well, tomorrow's Bradcast, I suppose. But I wanted to, you know, yesterday's show, and I encourage you to download it uh, at bradblog.com or your favorite uh, podcast site, uh, was so grim. We were looking at the state of Georgia where they're having this special election coming up. Uh, It looks like this Democrat, John Ossoff, uh, could potentially win the whole thing outright in the uh, in this in this very Republican district where Tom Price uh, served for about 10 years. He's now uh, Donald Trump's Health and Human Services directory uh, uh, director. Newt Gingrich held that seat, that same seat for 20 years. A Democrat uh, is way ahead of this split Republican field. But. The entire state of Georgia still runs on the same 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that they installed in 2002 and that I was able to obtain one of and get it to Princeton University and they were able to hack in about 60 seconds time and flip an election without any trace, with no way of finding uh, out that the thing was actually hacked and that the results were absolutely flipped. And yet here we are in 2017 with this bellwether election coming up in two weeks in Georgia using those same machines because, uh, frankly, uh, Democrats have not raised holy hell about it. And now they're counting on those same machines to come through for them in this uh, Georgia election. Well, it, it, it's it's so depressing in so many ways. So when I hear the story about, you know what, if you hang in there, if you keep fighting year after year after year, What are we on now? Year 14, I think, at bradblog.com. You know, you can eventually make a difference. Uh, So, you know, hang in there. Keep up the good fight, no matter how hopeless it sometimes seems. Uh, All right. Before I get to a quick call here, uh, President, as far as encouraging news, President Donald Trump reorganized his National Security Council on Wednesday, removing his chief strategist, Stephen Bannon, demoting him. And restoring uh, senior military and intelligence officials who had been downgraded when Trump first came to office. National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, who I'm happy to say is not insane, uh, who now serves as uh, Trump's uh, NSA, uh, he was upgraded and given responsibility for setting the agenda for meetings at the National Security Council. He was tapped as Trump's national security advisor after the resignation of Michael Flynn, who had stepped down in February after being, well, as the Times reports it, after being caught misleading Vice President Mike Pence and other White House officials about his contacts with Russia's ambassador. In fact, uh, Mike Pence and the White House knew about uh, Michael Flynn having uh, misled publicly 
uh, for weeks earlier. So, in fact, the reason he was let go is because word got out that he was lying about it and that Mike Pence was lying about it on his behalf. Under this move today, which uh, comes not a moment too soon with all of this saber rattling over North Korea, over the attack in uh, in Syria, the chemical attack uh, in Syria yesterday, uh, under this move, the National Intelligence Director and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff are again regular attendees of the uh, National Security Council's Principals Committee. Bannon, the former executive chair of Breitbart News, had been elevated to that National Security Council's Principals Committee, a guy who did nothing but write, you know, publish right-wing news, false news, fake news at, uh, at this Breitbart outfit. Um, he had been elevated to that role at the beginning of the Trump presidency, which seems forever ago. It was only about 75 days or so ago. And that move draw criticism from uh, drew criticism originally from uh, members of Congress and uh, members of the foreign policy establishment. But now that move by Donald Trump has been reversed. That is some good news, some encouraging news. Uh, so uh, White House claims that Bannon was placed on the committee to monitor Mike Flynn, to monitor Trump's uh, first national security advisor, Flynn. Uh, but now that Flynn's gone, he's no longer needed. Yeah, okay, sure, that's what it was. He was there to monitor Mike Flynn. Uh, in any event, uh, McMaster is now in charge of the council. Flynn has been fired. Bannon has been demoted. So there's that encouraging news. Let me see if I can get to one or two quick calls here. 818-985-KPFK. Desi Doyen, you'll be on deck shortly with the Green News Report. Let's go to Florence in Orange County. Hey, Florence, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind? Hey, how are how are you? No, I'm okay. You know. How are you? <laughs> well, I have good news. I mean, we have to talk about uh, the state of Maryland that uh, banned fracking, and that's great news, you know? It, it is good news. It's good news. Uh, we covered it on the Green News Report, I think, about a week or so ago when it happened. But uh, this was uh, Ho Governor Hogan, a Republican governor of the state of Maryland, uh, apparently signed the bill. Uh, was, it, was it yesterday, Florence, that he uh, signed the bill to ban fracking? Yeah, it was yesterday, and that's the third, uh, I believe, the third state now uh, that's doing it. So it has spread you know, everywhere, you know. Uh, well, uh, yeah, that is, that is good news. Uh, thank you very much for that good news, uh, Florence. I think it may be the third state, but I think that's the first. Uh, Des, is that the first Republican governor that you recall the, uh, uh, banning fracking? Yeah, as that's far as, you... as far as I know, that's the first Republican governor. There's also uh, the Vermont and New York State have also banned fracking, but those are not Republican governors. So this is this is a pretty big deal for Larry Hogan. He said basically that uh, that the risks to Maryland's natural resources were too high to allow fracking. And because, you know, Maryland, uh, because of the implications of fracking on drinking water supplies, for example. Yep. Uh, and uh, an, an honest Republican, at least on this point, at least for this moment, I think he's not running for re-election. So maybe that was one of the reasons that he didn't have to kowtow to the uh, fossil fuel industry. A rare Republican not kowtowing to, a foss to the fossil fuel industry. There's some encouraging news for you. We'll take it where we can get it. All right, let me uh, get to a quick break. I know there's some more folks on the line. 818-985-5735. If I can get to it after the Green News Report, I will. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Don't touch that dial. 
Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. What happened to Mo- Morris? What happened to Mo? I wanted to get to him. I lo- He's my favorite end of show caller. I know. What happened, uh, I know. We'll have to see. He went away. Uh, call he, back. He, he went Morris. away. He had a great idea. So we'll see if he calls call back. Call back with your good idea, Mo, whatever it was. 818-985-5735. All right, Desi Doyen. Uh, so some encouraging news. But now, unfortunately, <laughs> you're here. And we got to get to it. Our latest Green News report. The wall of water so powerful, entire neighborhoods washed away. Historic rains cause catastrophic deadly flooding in Columbia. Flint, Michigan residents force state to begin replacing lead-tainted water lines. Blue states take on Trump over energy efficiency standards. Coal pollution linked to high risk of low birth weight babies. Plus, we will put our miners... Back to work. New data shows Arby's and car washes employ more people than the U.S. coal industry. That's why we got to put them back to work. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. My administration is putting an end to the war on coal. Going to have clean coal. Really clean coal. (laughs) Yes, clean coal. I know clean coal sounds like an oxymoron, but so does President Trump. Getting used to it yet? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm sure you're going to beat up on Donald Trump in a moment, as you do. But hey, on Monday... He donated his first salary check as president to the National Park Service. Would you like to apologize to the president now? No, it was only $78,000. Only? That's a lot of money. The National Park Service's maintenance and operations backlog is $12 billion. And Trump wants to cut the whole department by $2 billion. Yeah, well, when you put it that way, maybe you got a point. What else do you have for us today? Well, on a much more serious note, in Colombia, South America. The streets of Mocoa, Colombia, were consumed by a wall of water late Friday night. Heavy rain triggered the overflow of three rivers, and the flooding quickly turned into an avalanche of mud. Torrential record rains overnight Saturday triggered catastrophic flash floods and mudslides in the city of Mocoa, a wall of water that officials say swept away entire neighborhoods while residents slept. As we go to air, at least 262 people are now confirmed dead, hundreds still missing. Mm. Colombia's president, Juan Manuel Santos, has declared state of emergency, and he blamed the disaster on climate change, which some scientists say is intensifying extreme weather events. 
Here in the U.S., the U.S. Senate this week is battling over the confirmation of Judge Neil Gorsuch to the U.S. Supreme Court. Environmental groups oppose elevating Gorsuch, warning that his record is to the right of the late Justice Antonin Scalia on environmental and climate regulations that rein in industrial pollution. Meanwhile, this struggling community of Flint, Michigan, will get 18,000 new water lines to begin replacing its lead-tainted water system. It's the result of a $100 million federal court settlement between the state of Michigan and a coalition of residents and environmental law groups who sued the state to force it to replace the water lines and continue delivering clean drinking water to residents. About time, although it's going to take a number of years before all of those pipes can finally be replaced. Which is why it's so important that the clean water deliveries continue. And environmental law groups are also mobilizing new lawsuits against the Trump administration's assault on public health. The Sierra Club and partner organizations have filed suit against President Trump's decision to approve a permit for the controversial Keystone XL pipeline from Canada on the grounds that Trump's sudden approval, reversing President Obama's prior rejection, violates the federal regulatory process. And 10 state attorneys general, with a coalition of environmental groups, are suing the Trump administration over its abrupt reversal of six proposed energy efficiency standards for a host of appliances, arguing it's a violation of federal law to arbitrarily delay standards that would save American homes and businesses an estimated $24 billion in energy costs. And enough electricity to serve 36 million households annually. Meanwhile, a new study links air pollution from coal-fired power plants to a higher risk of low birth weight babies. Scientists at the University of Pennsylvania found that women living downwind from a Pennsylvania coal-fired power plant had a much higher risk of having babies with low birth weight, less than five and a half pounds at birth. That was compared to women living away from the plant's air pollution. The higher risk held true regardless of the mother's wealth or access to health care. But of course, it is the less wealthy who tend to live closer to those coal plants in the first place. That's true, but this study showed that air pollution knows no city limits. Mm. Finally, a new report raises questions about Trump's fixation on the coal industry. A new Washington Post analysis of county employment data finds that even fast food restaurant chain Arby's employs more people than the entire U.S. coal mining industry. The car wash industry, the theme park industry, J.C. Penney, and Whole Foods each employ twice as many Americans as the entire coal mine industry. This data raises questions of why so much of U.S. energy policy is directed at just one highly polluting industry. Follow the money, the fossil fuel money. Indeed. You got a lot of news into today's report. Nice going. For more on those stories and the ones Desi couldn't get in today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Follow where the money goes. Follow where the money goes. Yeah. Follow where the money goes. Yes, do. Um, Thank you, Desi Doyan. I appreciate that. And uh, very quickly, the Massachusetts city of Cambridge has passed a resolution calling for an impeachment investigation into Donald Trump, speaking of whom. Cambridge City Council passed that resolution this week by a 7-to-1 vote, calling on the U.S. House of Representatives to review whether Trump's many business interests violate the Foreign Emoluments Clause 
uh, or the Domestic Emoluments Clause of the U.S. Constitution. The clauses prohibit the president from profiting from foreign governments, the federal government, or state governments other than his salary, which uh, he, he was kind enough to give away to the national parks before uh, trying to cut billions from them. Cambridge voted for uh, for Democratic uh, candidate Hillary Clinton in the presidential election, so this is maybe no surprise, but it won't be a surprise if we see more and more of these around the country, as we did during the George W. Bush years as well. The first one, at least that I heard of, according to AP, uh, has now been uh, passed successfully by Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, all right, very quickly, let me get to uh, one more call here. Uh, we never heard back from Mo, did we? All right, next time. Uh, John in Hollywood. Hey, John, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind, sir? Hi, I just want to talk about Jimmy Gomez winning the uh, primary last night, the jungle primary for um, 34 uh, congressional district in California. Uh, Jimmy's a great progressive. Uh, he's um, uh, one of the truly uh, good people in the California state legislature as an assemblyman, and uh, he will be a uh, perfect foil to all things Trump. Um, his opponent called himself a business-friendly person. I think we're going to have more than enough of that with uh, the corporate extremist Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. And we'll so, talk... Uh, having Jimmy out there... Yeah, well, we're, Jimmy out there as a as a balance will be something that really helps. And I hope to talk a little bit more about the uh, the politics there. Uh, he uh, he came in. Jimmy Gomez came in first. It looks like Robert On, another Democrat, came in second. They'll run in uh, in in a June six runoff out here. This is to fill the seat for um, uh, Javier Becerra, who became the California Attorney General recently after Kamala Harris. The former California Attorney General uh, went to the U. became our U.S. Senator out here in California. So that was the first of the special elections to fill U.S. House vacancies. Next week, there's one in Kansas to fill the seat uh, vacated by uh, Mike Pompeo, who is now Trump's uh, CIA director. Uh, and then the week after, the one in Georgia that I mentioned to fill the seat of Tom Price, which will be run on 100 percent unverifiable voting machines. Uh, hey, thanks, John. I, I appreciate the update there. We'll be talking about that, I think, a little bit later in the week, I'm hoping, with our friend Howie Klein here on the broadcast. My thanks to our producer today, Desi Doyen, to Sue Wilson of MediaActionCenter.net. Go check out her awesome story at bradblog.com. You can drop me email anytime. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. Uh, anything else I need to hit? No, I think that's it. Until we meet again, which I hope is tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.